Okay. So <clears throat> what I want to do now is continue going through the links, and we'll do that before lunch. We'll have a lunch break and then come back and kind of look more at the, the, how this actually works, play it out a little. So we went through ignorance, and uh, you know we could do the whole day just on ignorance, as we saw. It just touches on so much. And this next link of volitional formations is kind of like that, too. I mean, the, the shorthand for it is um, volitional formations. It's really actions of body, speech, and mind that are done with intention. Um, and that, you know, so it includes almost everything. Includes me sitting here talking to you. It includes, you know, all of your past memories and, and conditioning and your interest in meditation. It, it's, a, it's a very broad field. Um, and it's, it's kind of the place that our sense of self really is constellated out of, out of all this. And um, in the inner circle, I've, I've written past causes um, marking these two, ignorance and volitional formations. And really the way I see it, or I'll probably go into this more later, but kind of this is what's brought us here to this moment. The ignorance, I love this, the sea we swim in, um, and then uh, all of our past conditioning. So everything, our thoughts, emotions, moods, memories, all of the stuff that makes us sort of this individual and, and somewhat unique manifestation of a person is included in this link of sankharas. So it's, it's um, you know, we could talk a lot about that, about he, he, uh, conditioning and habits. You know, the, the Buddha said, whatever one frequently th uh, thinks and dwells upon, that will become the inclination of the mind. And so this is talking about that. The, the more we do something, the more we play out certain scenarios, the more likely it is that we'll repeat those scenarios, whether they're scenarios of generosity and compassion or fear and judging. It's all held in this, in this volitional formations, uh, this tendency for, for you know, I really, you can almost feel it physically as kind of these grooves or ruts that we find ourselves in. It's so difficult to get out of, but each movement through, each repetition of a certain type of action, a certain type of speech, a certain type of behavior just deepens a little bit that groove. And so we, we just find ourselves falling into a way of relating to a situation where we're the shy one or the fearful one or the gregarious one. And, and when, you know, when you're with your family or your close friend, you know, you all have your roles. It's kind of very much like that. We'll talk later about how to work with this. It's really in the, in the context of dependent origination, just to kind of see it as what's led us to this point and recognizing that it's been made up of innumerable choice points, innumerable decisions of action, intentional action, that when we're not conscious of it, seems like there's no choice. I'm back on, if I said free will would come, this question of choice would come up again and again. 
when we're not conscious of it, we act out of the, our habit patterns mm -hmm. because they're easy, the rut is there, it's, it feels, even if it's unpleasant or uncomfortable, even if we don't like the pattern, the pattern of fear or of judgment or of feeling unworthy, the rut feels so safe, the narrowness of those walls is so safe that we will continue to act out of that. And what the Buddhist path or Buddhist practice is saying is saying, pay attention. The very concept of rut is a story or an illusion that you're creating by affirming this action. But all it takes is just a moment of recognition and that whole construct can be dismantled. And I'm not saying, necessarily dismantle permanently. It can happen. We can see a pattern so clearly with mindfulness, with clarity, that it can literally break apart. Most of the time we're just weakening it. We're just weakening it through offering this potential of a choice point, through coming, waking up in this moment and recognizing that there's the possibility of a choice. And so, you know, with mindfulness, doing this again and again, we, we can weaken these patterns. The, this whole area is where addiction can come in, where we use whatever it is, drugs, alcohol, the media, um, shopping, you know, buying stuff as, as a form of uh, denying our experience and holding what we think of unpl being unpleasant at bay. In the image, the, the um, little diagram, which is at about one o'clock, is a potter. It's someone making pots. And I was just uh, in Australia visiting my family, and my friend has been totally into pottery for years, so she took me to her, her it's a group studio, it's not hers, but just to see that process, someone slabbing this big chunk of clay on and then and you make something and oh, that didn't work and they push it down again and but then no, you make it up again. All of the processes that have to go, it has to go through to make clay, a pot and any one of those, you know, they could break and uh, throw it away and start again. But this is what we're doing all the time. This, this is the creation part. This is creating the sense of self is all happening here. The next in the links is uh, consciousness. And the image is a monkey in a tree, basically grasping at fruit, grasping at objects. In Buddhist terminology, and particularly here in dependent origination, consciousness means a little different than how we view it in uh, Western understanding, where it's kind of like the consciousness. It's a very uh, limited and simple view of consciousness. It's consciousness associated with each of the six sense doors. Buddhist understanding, there are the five traditional sense doors, seeing, smelling, tasting, touching, feeling, and the mind. It's considered just another sense door. And there's a consciousness that arises. So when you're, you're hearing my voice, that's ear consciousness arising. With the arising of a sound, with that, with that sound, ear consciousness arises. And there has to be three things happening. The, the form or the object, in this case the sound, the organ of the ear, and the consciousness of that. And all three need to be there for hearing to happen. And so it's this sort of very simple version of consciousness. And Buddhist understanding consciousness only arises with an object always has to be aware of something. Of course, it can be aware of many things, you know, as we're sitting here, we're seeing and we're hearing, we're feeling the chair, but each of those is this, 
has this particular individual relationship to it. So this is what they mean by consciousness. <clears throat> and it's, it's kind of this knowing faculty, but it's pre-verbal. It's not adding anything on. It's just this knowing um, quality of mind. So in other words, does that mean that there's that you're saying this is kind of pre-interpretation? In yes. Words, this is before. Yes. So what is it that can? So we're saying what conditions consciousness is prior choices, patterns of behavior, patterns of thinking um, that we've established, which we which we bring to that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. That's what and this is just the sort of almost a responsive kind of thing, and we'll get into the, like this next one has some orienting. Sankara's has a lot of. You know, when, when we think of mind, a lot of it is already there in sankharas, our moods and emotions and things like that. This is, and, and the consciousness can know, is a con- consciousness of a, of a mood or a thought or an emotion. So it's just, it is, it's pre-verbal. And then on top of it gets layered perception, and I've already talked about that, how, you know, here we are all sitting here, we we could not agree on describing this hall, or even the color of this carpet, probably. You know, the beige, brown, you know, cream, you know, there's all of that layered on that comes afterwards. Perception, the naming of things. So, for, I'm sorry, just to follow up. So in your example earlier with the birds, <clears throat> there was the consciousness, and there was already kind of a problem there before you started building the story on top of that, because that was preconditioned to the hearing consciousness of the sound, which was unpleasant, right? In other words, did that, did that, did that start from there, and that's what generated the story condition, the story that you built that, that led where you told us? Well, you, again, to separate them out, and, and in the human experience, they're not separated out, right. so it sort of right. gets a little awkward. But there's just the hearing, and the hearing is just hearing. There's no problem in that. It's already associated with a little bit later on the chain, uh, perception, and then particularly Vedana, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. But then we've got the volitional formations before that. Do those not but that, influence the... But that's what I mean. Don't think of it as before or after. That's where it, it's not so helpful. It's context, in other words. Yes. But, but still, it's and that, it can, influenced, it sounds like, by... In other words, the hearing is just the hearing, so it really has nothing to do with the volitional formations. In and of itself separately, but you can't, in the human experience, unless we're really in a state of equanimity, mm-hmm. they're going to be influenced. Okay. Definitely. You know, all that story I had about, you know, I want Hawaii to have only native birds mm-hmm. wasn't just there in the hearing of... Right. Consciousness mixed in yeah. with this other that leads. Yeah, to, yeah. yeah. But the what, where meditation gets interesting is distilling right. just the hearing. Yeah. But our actual usual experience is this flow, this you know, as you said, this sea that we swim in that includes all of this. What this is doing is separating out, saying, "Look, you can look and see just this. Oh, I could bring mindfulness to that, or this part. Oh, that's a little more complex, but I can kind of see." So. It's separating it out in an artificial way mm-hmm. what for us is, boom. I mean, this is ha- happening right now. Mm-hmm. It's not tick, 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 tick. It's happening all right now. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Steve. So is mind consciousness involved in all of the, so you have our five <coughs> traditional senses, and then there's the mind. Is the mind always involved in this kind of basic? 
Not the mind in the way I was just using it. And again, as soon as we get into the territory of mind and consciousness, it gets murky. Um, you know, I've, I've had all these kind of conversations with people trying to pass it out. And even neurologists or neuroscientists, whatever they are, don't fully understand how the mind works. You know, it's mysterious that there's this glob of stuff in our head that somehow processes all this information. You know, what is a thought and everything? But so the mind consciousness in the sense I was just using it. No, it's not involved. That's consciousness of mental content. And they distinguish that from the ear consciousness that's just a knowing of a sound that's, as I said, pre-verbal. It's not, as soon as you get to naming, oh, that's the bell, that's, that's mine, that's a thought. So that's, that is then associated, but not the bare awareness. So ear consciousness doesn't have to arise in the mind or use mind contact or something? Well, again, this is where it's mysterious. It's, we would say it's the mind. That would be our definition. The, the Buddha wasn't a medical person examining what this looked like. He just said there is this thing, ear consciousness. It's a kind of knowing. So yes, our understanding is it's a no the mind is what's doing the knowing. But I'm just trying to separate out mind consciousness from that other knowing, that other type of consciousness. But as far as the six consciousnesses go, your mind is not taking place. Doesn't have to be. It, it could do immediately. As I said, the naming could come in and a whole story about I like or don't like the bell. But I'm just trying to pass out just that bare knowingness. Bear, someone said bear attention is kind of, but we have to be uh, uh, honest, bear attention happens very rarely. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's so, to have the experience of just hearing, I mean, I, we talk to people on long retreats and it's, it's hard to do. It, if you've ever tried, it's hard to do. Could it be the experience of sudden, something very sudden and unexpected that you're suddenly startled? So Could it be? It's not. Would it be? Because it, be it doesn't have to be. I mean, we're having eye consciousness all the time. You know, as I'm looking around this room, there's eye, but I'm not naming and having a relationship with each thing in the room. It doesn't have to be sudden or startling. It's it's there well, all the time. I'm saying that that's, uh, would be our only experience. Of oh, our only experience. Oh, I see. Well, it doesn't have to be. As I say, in meditation, you can get to that refined kind of awareness where the, the mind isn't reacting and telling stories, and there's just the knowing of something. But, um, you know, what we'll see in this cycle is that's pretty rare. Usually we have a relationship to that of liking it or not liking it, pleasant or unpleasant. So it is very rare that it happens in absentia of everything else. And so that's what I mean. It's the human condition. Are you saying consciousness is similar to mindfulness? Are you using those mm -mm. interchangeably? Mm -mm. No, because consciousness, this kind of consciousness, is happening all the time, and I don't have to be mindful of it. It's just happening. So, so is if I'm awake. Negative or positive or whatever. Yeah, it's not. There's no. No, it's just the response, the sense doors being open. Animals have this kind of consciousness. Well, it's just this knowing. As soon as I, you know, you hear a sound, to just be with the sound instead of going, "Oh, that's the bell." And for most of us, like I, you know, I'm a bird watcher. If I hear a, 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 
a bird song, I'm always, oh, that's a jay, or that's a red-tailed hawk, or that's a junco. You know, it just, it's immediate. But the just hearing of the sound, that's a different experience from the naming of it, the, percep the perception of it. Yeah, I mean or, babies. Or maybe averbal. It's 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 the absence of verbal. It's so, so pre interpretive. It's, yeah, you're not so interpreting it. Yeah, it's before you put the label on it. Right. But it for most of us the label happens so quickly that we don't distinguish it. It's just there. We can't not I, know I, it. We need to go back to what you told us in the very beginning that consciousness or any of these others create a condition for an arising. Mm -hmm. And the arising can be only creating a condition. It doesn't automatically cause the next thing to happen. Yeah. It feels like it does, and for most of us it does. It actually does, but not necessarily. Yeah. And that's, that's the teaching. Yeah. Okay, these are good, and this is going to be important for you later on. So, good. For the quiz? It's more than a quiz. <laughs> <laughs> so, the next one is a little mysterious. Uh, it, it's Nama Rupa, name and form. Nama is name, Rupa is form. This is a Buddha Rupa, the form of the Buddha. The usual image is two people in a boat. It's like Nama Rupa, together the boat makes this sense of being a person usually, because this is a lot about the personal experience. The form part for uh, us as an individual, basically is the body and its physical manifestation. Rupa includes all form. All form is rupa. But again, in the context of dependent origination, we're really concerned with the form of the body. So mentality, materiality. The nama part is interesting. If anyone, any of you know the five aggregates, um, they're often shorthand is nama rupa. But actually what's referred to here as nama is a little bit different, and it's an unusual list of mental qualities. And this is, again, where, you know, I can't say that the Buddha, you know, d this is the best way of, of uh, understanding or name it, but this is how he described it, that nama includes feeling, as in feeling tone, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, which we'll see is also later in the circle. It includes perception this naming, this singling out of things and recognizing them. It includes intention. And again, these are not separate things happening one after the other because we have intention behind our perceptions, what we choose to pay attention to. Contact, so this is interesting, why is contact But in here? Contact is also on the wheel in another place. Um, but it basically means that there, it, this, all this functioning of the mind has to be in response to something. You know, it says a consciousness in Buddhist understanding only arises with an object. So in here there is contact. And then attention. This always confused me a little. It's like I, I can kind of see what he's getting, but why, why pull these things out? And I, so someone said it to me a while ago, and I, th I thought it was very helpful. What he's referring to here is kind of the only the orienting aspects of the mind. This functioning of the mind to single out, again, I've been talking about this a lot because it's so important, to single out what bits of information I'm going to pay attention to, and out of that you know, is how I create my world. And remembering that we're having choices at all these different levels. 
you know, about what we're paying attention to and really seeing that what we pay attention to creates a reality for, you, for us. We act out of that. It solidifies that reality, so it gets fed back to us. So it's kind of like singling out this, this choice part of the mind of orienting to experience, orienting to what's happening. And, you know, the, well, no, I won't even go there with that. What's good examples? Um, anyway, someone had a question over here. Yes, sure. Mm -hmm. And that some people like remember everything about people interaction. Yes. And nothing about the physical environment around Exactly. Them and so on. And so that this is a really huge thing because it's one of the areas of great disagreement and understanding yes. that we're so different in what we can take in. Yes, and what we remember and what's important to us. And that, you know, just as I said, we, we would all have arguments about describing this room. Is it beautiful or unbeautiful? Is the ceiling high or low? You know, any, you put two people together, they would disagree because of this kind of thing, because of their whole, again, their background of all of their interests and upbringing and conditioning about what's important. Some people remember everything they read. I'm like, I have to ask my husband, did I read this book? You know, can you tell me if I read this book? I, I just don't remember it. And other people, you know, will always remember. I, I've, I've got this friend who I meet, you know, maybe three times a year, and he always says, now, how's your sister? Now, he, she was going through some I'm sort of, how do you remember that? I barely keep track. So, yes. And it, this is, again, thank you for this point, huge in the Buddha's teaching to see that what we're taking to be reality is just our reality. It's not the truth with a capital T. It's through all of these layers of filters and perceptions and judgments and conditioning. And if we can just recognize that, that's a huge step towards ending disagreement and uh, conflict in the world. This is really the source of all of the conflict, is disagreeing about the nature of things. My God is better than your God, you know. This border should be here, not there. I won that war, not you. You know, it's all about this. Yes. Um, I might have missed a beat on, on this, so please forgive me. But um, is the blind man, the potter, the monkey in the tree, the two people in the boat, is that developmental? Well, that's what I was saying that there's these ways in which these links, some of them all arise at once. Don't think of them as tick, 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 one after the other. There is a sequential nature, but it's conditioning, not causal. Some of them happen at the same time. Some of them happened in the past. So yes, there is a, there's a sequential nature, but it's, 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 not, um, it's not segmented into discrete sets of time that, that's, you know, I use the analogy of dominoes falling over. It's not like that. There's lots of feedback loops. There's lots of ways in which, like Sankara is all in, in ignorance. They're, they're past, but they're always happening. They'll happen into the future unless something changes. So. so I guess one of these couldn't really stand on its own. And that's the other point. The other great... It's all connected. It's all can all needs to be there. The Buddha often used the analogy of two sheaves of wheat fall uh, leaning against each other. So if you take that one away, this other one will fall down. 
So, and the next one, again, this whole area is a little interesting. The next is the six sense bases. Now, I already talked about consciousness. Sorry, Bill. Well, I just wanted to, to say something about Nama Rupa. Yes. Uh, um, Stephen Batchelor says that Nama Rupa is what, uh, well, he first says it's what enables us to look in a mirror and recognize that it's me, uh-huh. us. And so he says it's sort of like uh, our, our self-identification uh-huh. Uh-huh. as opposed to others. Uh-huh. It's, it's, I don't know if that's helpful. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the more I hear different things, it sort of gives me a sense of, you know, because it could be Nama Rupa, name and form, so it's the body, and it's like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, it's the old Mullah Nasruddin story where he goes to the bank and, and they say, before you can withdraw money, you have to identify yourself, and he pulls out a mirror and goes, oh, yeah, that's me. <laughs> that's what we, we're doing. Oh, yeah, that's me. And this is all, It's so it's a little bit like that. It's that orienting, it's... it's, it's uh, there's a little bit of a world we're creating here through all of these layers of feeling, perception, contact, attention. It's this orienting well, to this moment. It's, it's the creation of the whole world. It's interpretation. Yeah. And, and the entire world only exists in here through our interpretation. Exactly. And therefore, it's really everything aside from... Oh, yeah, definitely. No, no, it's, a, it's definitely in relationship to the external, not just our internal sense. Um, and again, this is the point I keep trying to make, how if we see this as a conditioned process rather than reality, mm-hmm. this it completely changes how we relate to the world. You know, when we think of the world as fixed and it's like that and I don't like and it shouldn't be, it's like, and, and you know, that everyone should agree with me and why don't they? What's wrong with you? You know, what's wrong with you? It's, it's because of this. It's because of the, the, we're all in this individual unique process that has all of these different layers to it. So the next in the sequence is um, the six sense bases. And the usual depiction of that is a house with um, four, five windows and a door. And often, this one is not so good, often they have the monkey peering out through. I think it's like that in this, in this tanka. The monkey is peering out through the six sense doors relating to the world, seeing the world, experiencing the world. So the first was consciousness. It was consciousness of the six sense doors, and now it's saying it's the six sense doors. This, in some ways, again, it, it's sort of obvious. Yes, you know, I see, I think, I smell, all of that. But the Buddha, again, pointed us back to this as something really important. What's going on here? Again, you know, we're creating the world through what we're experiencing in that way, and we can bring mindfulness to it. There's this great teaching um, to Bahia. Bahia was a wanderer who came to the Buddha and said, you have to teach me, you have to teach me. And the Buddha said, no, not now, I'm going for lunch. (laughs) And he said, no, no, I I won't take no, you have to teach. And the Buddha said, look, can't you see I'm on arms round? And he asked a third time, and classically in the teachings, if you ask three times, you, you get your wish. So the Buddha said, okay, I'll give you a really short teaching. And he said, so thus, Bahia, must you train yourself in the scene there will be just the seen. In the heard, just the heard. In the sensed, just the sensed. In the imagined, just the imagined. Thus you will have no thereby. Thus, that is how you should train yourself. Now, Bahia, when there is, when in the scene, there will just, there will be to you just the seen, in the heard, just the heard, in the imagined, just the imagined, in the cognized, just the cognized. Then, Bahia, you will have no thereby, you will have no therein. 
you'll have no therein. As you, Bahir, will have no therein, it follows that you will have no here or beyond or midway between. That is just the end of it. So it's a little obscure. I don't want to go into... It's a short teaching. But he, and what the, the story, Bahia was enlightened in hearing that teaching and immediately was gored by a wild, wild cow and died. <laughs> so that was why he needed to press the Buddha for the teaching. Um, but he was awakened, so it was okay. But what it's pointing to is just this fact that if we can just be with this bare experience, we can be more in touch with what is true without all these layers, without all these perceptions, without all these projections. It's not easy, but the awakened mind experiences in this way of just knowing things as they are. And so one of the practices about this that we teach on retreat, because uh, when Sharon Salzberg talks about this, especially in our culture, it's a very visual culture. You know, we used to be much more in other senses of the body, and you can see our other dogs are in their nose and other animals really here. We're very visual. And it's like this cartoon image he talks about, you know, the, I forget which animal, it was like the rooster, I think, where the eyes came out of his head on springs, you know, boing, boing, look. That's what we're like, looking at stuff all the time and want, seeing what we can get. And a practice is to really, we call it guarding the sense doors or restraint, where we just see how much energy goes out through these sense doors, particularly through the eyes, catalog consciousness, you know, where you didn't want something and, oh, you know, what about that? Just through seeing, window shopping. So we, we learn to practice at these sense doors. And it doesn't mean not enjoying the things of nature, but just seeing how they take us down this road of desire, this road of tumbling into um, being. So the next in, so what, and I wanted you to turn back and uh, look at your links. And on the inner circle, I, I talked about past causes. I've this already. In ignorance and volitional formations, kind of what got us to this point. The next three, they, for me, they, they're very murky. I can see, you know, and, and, and my teaching to you that I hope helps you today is you don't need to get them. You don't need to understand nama rupa or what's the difference between mind consciousness and mind and consciousness. It basically means we have a mind and a body that's operating. That's why I've written there the human experience. It's just this, mind and body operating. This is all you need to get out of this. And then something happens, contact. Some event arises, and for all of us, these events are rising all the time. Some of them don't much rise to the level, the threshold of noticing. But the ones that do, that's where Namarupka, and we orient around that. Contact happens. In the image, it's a man and woman embracing. So they've kind of cut to the chase, you know, talking about our genetic predispositions. It's, it's that movement of desire, of lust, or whatever. Um, something happens at one of the six sense doors. And this is where we, uh, I, I said before about desire in our practice, it's really separating the, the experience of desire, the energy of desire, the mind moment of desire from the object. And, and that can be a, a huge help in this practice. Very subtle. Um, 
So it's the, also the difference between the, the, the contact and the knowing of it. It's like there's the contact of the hearing and then the knowing of that. We can actually get interested in that. So contact just happens. What happens next for m most of us immediately, um, actually I think for all of us immediately, is this next link of Vedna or feeling tone. The image is quite a strong one. I don't know if you can see it clearly. It's a man with an arrow through his eye. So it's really talking about the strength of Vedana. When experience happens, something arises at one of the six sensors. Immediately we have a response of liking or not liking or spacing out neutral. Pleasant, unpleasant, neither pleasant nor unpleasant. Dukkha, sukha, adukkha, masukha is the Pali. <coughs> this is a key part of this process because this uh, um, tendency is what makes the rest of the cycle continue. I, I want to talk about this more later, so I'll go through it a little bit quickly now and talk about it um, uh, in the context of how we get off the wheel. But there's basically pleasant. If something's pleasant, we want it. If it's unpleasant, we don't want it. If it's neither, we space out or we just stay in ignorance. We're just, you know, deluded in some way or another to the experience. Out of that relationship, contact, uh, sorry, craving happens. So if it's pleasant, usually we want it. It's just that movement. If it's pleasant, who was saying before? I just see what it's pleasant and then I want it. You know, how can I get more of what I want? The image is usually, and again, can be different things. I've seen Miser with his gold. It's often, though, a, a, someone pouring someone a drink. It's a, a woman pouring a man uh, some tea. Because this word for craving in Pali is tanha, and a literal translation is thirst. But really um, implied in it is unquenchable thirst. It's thirst that can never be satisfied. And so this is what's happening. And this is, uh, as I've talked about, the second noble truth. So here we are right in the heart of the four noble truths. Up to this point, it's been um, either past, you know, ignorance and uh, conditioned uh, sankharas. There's kind of this human experience and it's all together right now. And it's just, you know, we, we can't choose whether we hear or not or we have a body or not. And, you know, in this moment, here we are. Something happens Vedna, automatic. This is kind of where the choice point comes in, moving into craving. The rest of it can happen, boom, you know, in a flash. But here we can kind of make choices of, you know, craving, of holding, we wanting to say something? Yeah, can I ask a question about yeah. Vedna before we move on? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to understand this for many years, and I get, and I always get confused about it. The thing with Vedna is that it's, this is not a conditioned response. Vedna is, is no, Vedna is conditioned. The fact that it happens, you could say, is not conditioned or biological. You know, the teaching is that with the contact, Vedna arises. But then the way I, the reason I, in, the, in the Sankaras, right, it's, it's different than uh, perception. Like perception is one thing. Yeah. Vedna is something else. Yes. And so I would think if, you know, if... Um, you know, you make a sound like the, your birds, right? And then you have an association 
that makes it unpleasant, but that's more of a perception. That, but that's exactly, it's a perception or it's conditioned. Vedna is conditioned. Whether you like the sound of the bell or not depends on, you know, whether you're having a good meditation or you're ready for the walking meditation to end. It's, and I, my, my perception of the bell can be pleasant and yours unpleasant. So it's not intrinsic in the experience. But have you heard any teachers talk about it a different way where, I, I, I feel like I've heard this where, um, that they say actually the, the Vedna level is that it's, um, it's like it's more cellular. Like I remember one teacher made the analogy of how even if you have like single celled organi single cell organism in a, in a petri dish, like they'll move away from, you know, if you put detergent in it, they'll, they'll just move away. That it's not a, that there's actually something in the living well, yeah, you could, if you're going to talk at it on that level, so like anything, there's a spectrum. And I think all of us, if, you know, you poked us with a pin, we'd all say that was unpleasant. But there are people... Right, and saying that, that, and then that's not conditioned, that that would have actually happened just, you know, you're a baby, and it's before anyone conditioned anything. Instinctive. It's instinctive. So there is, but where Vedna, where, where it's helpful for us is more in the conditioned nature of it. If it's just, you know, picking with a print, but there are people who like picking themselves with prints or burning themselves, you know, we can get distorted views. So that's what you'd, right. you know, masochistic behavior right. sort of turns that on its head. So you, right. that's why you don't want to just say, oh, it's always like this. Mm -hmm. The Buddha is saying, look and see. Mm -hmm. Yes, we could all probably agree. We don't want anyone to hit us. Some people like getting hit. So, but it's most important to see um, what's in our direct experience and its conditioned nature. And Vedna, for most of us, has a conditioned aspect to it. Okay. Many things we could agree on, but where it gets subtle or interesting is the same experience of knee pain or a taste. You know, if someone gives you a bite of chocolate cake, great. A slice of chocolate cake, pretty good, makes you eat the whole cake, it's not pleasant anymore. So you just see that it changes depending on your relationship to that experience. That's what's important, not whether, you know, we all agree that uh, getting pricked by a pin is painful or not. That, and that's what I mean by it's, 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 it's inevitable with what, how we react to that. And there's another teaching, I don't have time to get into it, that even says the experience of positive and negative is neutral because it's just knowing. But it immediately gets colored by the liking, not liking. It's a little subtle, but that's helpful. I was wanting to finish... 15 minutes ago, and we're only up to craving. So I'm just trying to decide maybe what I'll do <laughs> is come back, because this is kind of a turning point. And we, we can go more into it, I think, if people feel that they've eaten and are uh, hungry. Um, so we'll take a, a break for lunch um, and come back and take this up, and then we'll go into an experiential exercise. So then there's the timing. I was thinking... I think we'll take about an hour and 15 minutes for lunch. And um, so it's one o'clock. I'm always terrible at this. 2.15, that means. <laughs> so someone, if someone could ring the bell at about five past two or so, you might both, five, five past two. 
I will start doing interviews at about 1.40 or so. So whoever is next on the list, and then I'll do a few until we come back at 2.15. Is that kind of clear? Yes. The list is pinned on the door of the room I'm doing interviews in. So as you go out this building, the building on your left, go in the door and turn to your left, and it's right there. Um, and uh, someone, if someone goes and looks, crosses off the first three people I've seen. We should cross them off so we know who's next. Um, you're welcome. Oh, do I have to do all this? Lunch. There's nothing really that needs to be done before lunch, is there? There is a silent retreat in progress, so you shouldn't go above the gate. You're welcome to have your meal in here. It doesn't need to be in silence. Unfortunately, I think it is still drizzling, but you can eat anywhere outside. Um, if you don't have your lunch, there's a very good deli right in Woodacre. You can just turn right outside um, Spirit Rock and take the first left, and you'll get to the deli. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.